a Christian in Pakistan, was on death row for five years, facing the death penalty for his faith in Christ. So what was it that changed his case? It wasn't headlines expressing outrage or marching in the streets. Isaac Six tells us about the quiet diplomacy undertaken on his behalf. Several members of Congress reached out to the American ambassador in Pakistan, and he began engaging with different levels of the Pakistani government, saying, hey, have you looked at this case? Have you talked about this case? And then, out of nowhere, very quietly, this particular individual was, was summoned into the court. Uh, his death sentence was completely overturned, and he said, you know, you're free to go, and he left and he went back to his family. How often is this type of thing happening? Keep listening to find out. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and we're in our studio in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Our guest today is a man named Isaac Six. Now, Isaac formerly worked for International Christian Concern, which is another organization that advocates and speaks on behalf of persecuted Christians. He is now working with the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, which is our government's effort to help other governments focus on religious freedom, provide more freedom for their people. Now, I want to emphasize Isaac is here as a guest. He is not a spokesperson for the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. We're going to talk more about his experiences in life the way that persecuted Christians have inspired him. So as you're listening to this, don't see this as the official word of the U.S. government. See it as one guy who works in the U.S. government sharing his story and sharing uh, his heart for persecuted Christians around the world. Isaac, welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you, Todd. It's great to be here. Now, I know your intro to persecution came pretty early. You, uh, you actually got detained in China at age 16, Tell us that story. That's right. I uh, I was a missionary kid. I grew up overseas, and I was on a trip in China, in, in, in rural China, and we were doing very quiet evangelism work, and we had split up into small teams, and we're just sort of building relationships and, and talking to people about you know our faith, and we got a call over the radio that said, uh, hey, heads up, the, the police are on their way around. They're in little vans, and they're collecting everyone from the teams, and they're, and they're taking to the police station. So... So sure enough, eventually the the police van came around. They rounded us all up. They took us to the police station. For me, I was 16 years old, and uh, I thought it was all very exciting. You know, I got a picture of myself <laughs> holding on to the police station. Look, Mom, prison we got bars. arrested. <laughs> right. Everyone else was kind of, you know, sort of, this is not the time to be joking. But I thought it was, you know, an adventure at the time. And thankfully, we were only held for a, a few hours, and, and they did confiscate some of our literature and everything. And they basically told us to leave and to not come back. And I know since then, obviously, in your work at ICC and your work now, you've encountered a lot of Christians who spent a lot more than an afternoon in jail. How have those experiences affected the way you live out being a Christian on a day-to-day basis? How has that impacted you? Not only, obviously, that first experience, but I think the people that you've met, the stories that you've heard, how has it changed the way you're a Christian? It's almost impossible for you not 
to be changed when you encounter those who have suffered and, and faced real persecution for, for their faith. You know, sticking on the topic of China, I've talked with individuals who spent 15 years, 20 years in, in labor camps. And I know you have two, and you know they come out after 20 years, and the next week they're starting another Bible study, and and you see things like it's that. Like, didn't you learn your lesson? <laughs> I know. Apparently, 20 years in a labor camp wasn't enough, and uh, and they, you know, they may have lost their whole family by that point, and and no one they know is still around, and they have few connections. But that sort of grasp on faith that just just doesn't let go is incredibly inspiring. And so I think as I've come to deal with challenges to my faith in my personal life, and I've come into times where circumstances seemed incredibly difficult, I think about those conversations and I think about the people I have met and I think they held on at all costs. They lost everything and they held on. And you know what? They were never forsaken. They were never abandoned. And I think I know that if I hold on to this God's going to see me through to the other side, and he's going to be there. He's here now. He's going to be there when I get to the other side of this. This too shall pass. And so it has definitely strengthened my faith, and I, and I hope made me a stronger believer. And I hope, you know, as our listeners are listening, as people are reading the VOM newsletter, that's our goal too, is that as they read those stories, as they meet these people, that their faith is strengthened, that they say, okay, this guy was in prison for 20 years. He didn't give up his faith. I'm having a rough day. But I'll probably be all right. <laughs> Talk about some of the specific people. What are some of the stories of those people who, when you go through a rough time now, you look back and think, wow, yeah. remember talking to that guy? Yeah, sure. Well, I'll call him um, Mr. B. Mr. B was a uh, an older uh, elder in the in the church or is an older elder in the church in China. And he lived through the Cultural Revolution and Mao's Revolution and was actually a, a, an avowed communist and a teacher at a, a military academy. He had, as a young boy, he'd been taken to church and, and you know, encountered the Christian faith, but hadn't really followed it. And he made the mistake one day as a professor and to a, a good friend and colleague, this was, of course, during the time of Mao Zedong and, and the Cultural Revolution, said, you know, Mao is, is wonderful in all these ways, but he seems to act like he's God and he can't be God. He's not a God. The next day, he was arrested, and it, uh, his, his good friend had reported on this oh comment. My. So he was forced into all sorts of shaming, and all sorts of renunciations, eight hours a day of writing your apologies. And he was actually taken before the whole entire class and everyone, and they put a, a board on him, and they held him by his hair and pulled yanked his arms back. And the board basically said, this man refused to call Mao God. And, uh, of course, in, especially in Chinese culture, that sort of public shaming is horrific. And then he was thrown back into his cell. And he was also, you know, he was thinking he'd basically come to the end of his life, that there was nothing else. And right then he felt in his heart sort of this, 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 this prick. And it was God talking to him and saying, you know, I actually am here. I'm still here with you. And he knelt down and he gave his life to Christ right there in a prison cell. Um, said, well, you know, I remember the God of my childhood and where I went to church. And he remained in prison. But then when he got out, he started an underground church, went back to prison, came back out uh, and just kind of persevered in that. Samuel Lamb, who, who passed away a little while ago, I also had the chance to meet before, before he passed away. Uh, individual who spent many, many years in, in the labor camp. Those are a couple of the examples. There's many, many more. I mean, India and Iran and, and, and Iraq. I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, I was in Iraq, right, as ISIS was sort of expanding its, its territory there, and you're meeting people who've lost absolutely everything except their faith. And the joy that you can still find in people in those circumstances, if they can find joy in those circumstances, then I know I can as well. 
We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Isaac Six. He is part of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. I want to emphasize again, he's not here as a spokesperson for them. He is a worker at, at the U.S. ICRF. Isaac, what does the U.S. ICRF do? What, what is their purpose and what is your role there? Well, the commission was established by Congress uh, in 1998 under the International Religious Freedom Act. It has two roles primarily. One is to, uh, to report on religious freedom conditions around the world, and they monitor several dozen countries around the world where they're reporting on how the religious freedom conditions are either improving or deteriorating. And the second is to sort of serve as a watchdog group. They are an independent commission, and they were created that way on purpose to make sure that religious freedom is a part of American foreign policy. Because, you know, back when the 98 Act was passed, you know, there's this realization that, you know, well, we believe in religious freedom for ourselves, but do we believe, about, you know, that everyone should have religious freedom? And what are we doing to promote that around the world? It's, it's in the First Amendment. It's one of our core values as Americans. And so an office was created at the State Department to work on this. But that office is kind of subject to whatever sort of, you know, politics are happening at the time and, and, and maybe subject to different pressures. So this commission was created as a watchdog to say, hey, are we really doing a good job of promoting religious freedom around the world or have we gotten sidetracked? And so that's, in essence, what the commission is doing. And my role there specifically is to work with members of Congress. I work in government relations or congressional relations. And so we're raising the work of the commission with members of Congress, trying to plug them in. Uh, We try to plug them in with individual prisoners of conscience. Would you advocate for this person? Would you advocate for that person? And you have to make sure that the the context is right to do it in. But sometimes when a member of Congress or a case will be raised on Capitol Hill, uh, you may not see a release immediately. But you'll see the treatment change. You'll see someone who is being fed one meal a day and being tortured. All of a sudden, they're moved into a, a nicer place, and they're being fed better and taken care of a little bit more. And that's because you know the United States still does have a very good amount of influence. So we think that influence should be used in a way that promotes religious freedom for everyone. Uh, one of the guests that we've previously had on VOM Radio is Pete Hoekstra, a former congressman from Michigan. Yeah. Uh, those of you who are interested in that, you can go to vomradio.net and listen to that conversation. But you know he talked about the power of a U.S. congressman writing a letter. If if Todd Nettleton writes a letter to the Sudanese embassy, they say, who's Todd Nettleton? But if it comes on congressional letterhead, they say, oh, we better pay attention to this. So how does what you do at USCIRF, separate from or in cooperation with the State Department, I know they issue a report every year about international religious freedom. How do the two work together or or are they completely separate? No, they, they do work together. And the goal is to work together. You know, USERF has to maintain its independence uh, to a degree. But um, everyone ultimately is working for the same end. And they might disagree necessarily about how to do it. For instance, the State Department is responsible for designating countries as what we call countries of particular concern. And that's a very specific designation. And if a country reaches that threshold, technically, they are then liable to receive sanctions, economic sanctions, security sanctions, travel bans, things like that. And so, it's a big deal. If a country ends up on that list, they want to get off of that right. list because that can really hurt things in the relationship with Which the Which is the whole purpose of the list. Exactly. To make them want to get off of it. Right. It's it's one thing to promote and talk about religious freedom, but also adding a little bit of teeth to it so that, you know, hey, we really can't do business with people. And unfortunately, it still happens, but we shouldn't be doing business with and, and working closely with people who are persecuting their own population. So so the, the commission also recommends to the State Department who they should designate. And usually there's several more countries on that list, uh, such as Pakistan, that USERV will recommend uh, and that the State Department typically doesn't take on. So there's always kind of that push-pull of, hey, you're doing a great job. It's, it's fantastic work. But 
we we think there's a few more countries that you need to look at more closely and, and consider these issues, and, and they probably need to face some repercussions for, for what they're doing. There's a lot of frustration right now in some quarters with the American government. You know, there's gridlock. There's a lot of name-calling. There's back and forth. I don't envy you living in Washington, D.C. <laughs> at all, but you've seen some cases where U.S. government involvement really made a difference on the ground for persecuted Christians. Tell us one or two of those stories where it really did, it worked, the, the process worked. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I think it is, you know, you're right. You, you, you read the news and you read about what's happening and it can seem so frustrating. And there is a lot of uh, dissension in, in Washington and a lot of controversy. But on this issue, it's one that I believe really should unite everyone. No one, regardless of your politics, thinks that people should be imprisoned for life or, or sentenced to death because of what they believe, you know, in, in their in their you know sort of deeply held beliefs. And so it's an area where we're able to bring an agreement and a lot of people are able to work together. And it doesn't mean there's not controversy sometimes. So we bring people together for that. And then we found there's a number of members, members of Congress who, who really care passionately about this issue. And so in an example, uh, I, I think I've mentioned in the past is there, uh, there were 35 Ethiopian Christians who were detained a number of years ago in Saudi Arabia. They were holding a house church service and the religious police came in and detained everyone, took them all to a detention center. And in that case, a member of Congress and several others got together, wrote a letter to the Saudi government, and then summoned the Saudi ambassador and his representatives to to Capitol Hill to explain, what are you doing? You're one of our allies, supposedly, but you can't just arrest everyone, you know, whenever you want because they were worshiping peacefully. And it took some time, and there's always pushback. You know, the embassies of these countries, in our, their, their job is to make their country look good. Right. And it doesn't look good when they're doing this. <laughs> so they'll come up with a lot of different reasons and a lot, a lot of different of stories. Yeah. <laughs> but eventually, it took, it took a while, but eventually all 35 individuals were released. It's kind of piecemeal at, at, at different points. But we were able to pressure that, the government, into releasing them. There's another case of a, a, a Pakistani Christian who, uh, of course, in Pakistan, you could be sentenced to death for blasphemy. He had been on death row for over five years. His case is kind of just completely faded. It was not a very high-profile case, which in Pakistan is actually useful if you're mm-hmm. trying to raise a case um, quietly because if a case is high-profile, there's a lot of resistance yeah. to letting people out. Asya Bibi. Yes, That's Asya Bibi. People marching in the streets demanding her execution. Exactly. That's not a good path for the government to be able to compromise. Exactly. The Pakistani government, even if they want to release her, they're going to face riots in the streets. But in this case, there wasn't that much attention paid. So we did very quiet diplomacy behind the scenes. Several members of Congress reached out to the American ambassador in Pakistan, and he began engaging with different levels of the Pakistani government saying, hey, have you looked at this case? Have you talked about this case? And then out of nowhere, very quietly, this particular individual was was summoned into the court. Uh, his death sentence was completely overturned. And he was said, you know, you're free to go. And he left and he went back to his family. Wow. And so, you know, who knows how much longer he may have been on death row, if he would have died in prison or what would have happened with this case. But we do think in, in that particular case that intervention behind the scenes helped raise it and we were able to help help release him. So, yeah, it, it absolutely can make a difference. And sometimes we can't see the difference. Let's go to the other side of the coin now. Are there some cases maybe that you look back on and think, wow, we we weren't able to make any difference in that situation? Yes. Unfortunately. <laughs> yes. No, there definitely are. There's sometimes you'll just work your heart out on, on some cases and there's no immediate result. Nepal might be an example. They've been we're in the process of adopting a new constitution. And in their new constitution, they have language that really explicitly bans converting someone from one faith to another. And we see that used in India mm-hmm. and, you know, to harass religious minorities. 
And so we worked and we got to very high levels in Nepal and we were, you know, distributing things to the people who were drafting the constitution and we thought we had made some progress. And then the most recent draft, the final draft that came out, they've still left that language in there. And we've seen some Christians recently picked up in Nepal. And, of course, the government has, has assured members of Congress that, don't worry, we're not really right. going to punish people for this. It doesn't really mean what it says it means. <laughs> well, we're putting it in our constitution, <laughs> which, you know, can't be changed once we you know, very easily. So, yeah, that that's a work that's still ongoing. Um, India, there's a couple of cases we raised at the very highest levels in India where, you know, entire villages were banning the practice of any non-Hindu faiths and got it into the media, got it everywhere. And last time I checked, they're still banned. There's people, Christians and believers still being beaten up in these villages. I mean, we have raised this at the highest levels of the Indian government and on Capitol Hill. And it's just a it's just a wall, they, you know, not getting through. Are there some countries in your years of working on religious freedom issues, Christian persecution, are there some countries where you've really seen an improvement, where you feel like, wow, it's so much better now than it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Yeah, that's a good question. I I think it's kind of what you compare it to. You know, uh, when I was first working in China, I thought we'd seen a lot of improvement. And there is, if you compare it to the 1960s and 1970s, it's amazing how much the church has been able to grow. And even house churches, which aren't legally registered, have grown to huge areas. But over the last couple of years, under the current leader, uh, we've seen crackdowns again and and, and church crosses being removed. And and so it's possible for things to get much better and then to get worse again. Mm -hmm. Russia might be an example as well. You know, tremendous difference after the fall of communism. But the last couple of years, things have been getting very challenging again. So, you know, it's difficult to say. I I think there are improvements here and there, but none that I've seen in my time, my really short time doing this, where I've seen sort of a long-term change where it's definitely all transitioned into a a free place to worship. Isaac, as U.S. citizens— we have a voice, you know, at least in theory, our government is a government of the people, by the people, for the people. Mm-hmm. How do you encourage American Christians to use their voice on behalf of our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world? Uh, that's a good question. And I, and I don't know if Americans realize just how much of a voice that they have. And they have a voice in government. And it, you may think, well, I'm just, you know, there's millions and I'm just one and what can I do? But uh, from working on Capitol Hill and having spent time working for members of Congress as well, I can tell you that you really can make a difference. If you pick up the phone and call your member of Congress and say, and it helps to be specific, it helps to know, you know, not just say, hey, work for religious freedom, <laughs> have some specific requests, right. uh, whether that's legislation or a particular issue or whatever. But if you do that, and especially if you get, you know, friends and family involved and, uh, and, and you know, many, many people are calling, they pay attention to that. Uh, they have to be responsive, especially if you're a constituent and it's your member of Congress. So I absolutely encourage people, don't be deterred thinking you can't make a difference. You absolutely can. Of course, you want to do it politely and respectfully. But I, I encourage anyone who's interested to get involved, to pick up the phone, send an email, write a letter. Because, I mean, I've gotten calls from congressional offices before that said, hey, we just had a bunch of calls from where, you know, our, our district here, they're asking about so-and-so and, and wherever, and I don't know what they're talking about, and do you know what they're talking about? <laughs> do you have any idea why these people <laughs> called us? Yeah, and of course, we're like, well, yes, we do, and thank you so much. You know, let's <laughs> let's talk about this and see what you can do. So, yeah, Americans really can. I mean, you know, sharing the news, of course, with all your friends, but also picking up the phone, calling a member of Congress can be a great way to make an impact. And I think, like you said, 
asking specific questions or pointing to specific cases. That's right. We want you to inquire about Asya Bibi in Pakistan. Why is she on death row? As opposed to, and we encourage people this as you pray also, pray specifically and not just, you know, God bless the persecuted church, but God bless Asya Bibi in prison in Pakistan. And it's interesting because you're echoing what Pete Hoekstra said when he was here on VOM Radio, that every time you call they're going to try to respond to you because you're their boss. That's right. <laughs> they want your vote the next election. They're going to try to find out some information. They're going to try to be able to respond to you. Yes, we inquired about that. Here's what's going on or here's what we did. So every time you call, that does produce a response. And so we have a voice. Let's use it. Let's yeah. let's make it count for our persecuted brothers and sisters We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Isaac Six. He is formerly of International Christian Concern. He is now working for the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. He is not their spokesperson. So, again, he's speaking as a U.S. citizen who happens to work in that particular realm of the government. Isaac, as we wrap up today, we talk a lot on VOM Radio about praying for persecuted Christians in hostile and restricted nations. But you live in uh, what some might call the hostile area of Washington, (laughs) D.C. How can we pray for people in our government? And and I think especially of Christian people like you who are they're serving the U.S. government. They're doing the best they can for the U.S. government, but they're also trying to serve the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. How can we pray for those people who are working for us in Washington, D.C., who are followers of Christ? I'll tell you, it is so important that they receive prayer and specific prayer because um, there are amazing men and women of God in Washington, D.C. who really have a heart for for the kingdom and, and they are doing their best. It is a place where you can be pulled aside by so many different issues and so many different controversies. It's very easy to get bogged down in, in, in all of the things going on there. So I think that praying for our elected leaders, praying for the president, praying for members of Congress, specifically know that God would give them the courage to stay strong in their convictions and in their beliefs. You know, you can face so much harassment for anything you say or do that it's easy to want to pull back. And, you know, if I speak out, then this group and this group and this group are going to attack me. And and they might not just say bad things about you. They may actually go to your home state or your your home district and, and raise you know, campaign funds against you and try to get you out of Washington, D.C. So it's, it's serious. You, you know, you can lose your place and everything if, if you're attacked strongly. So praying that God would give them the courage to stay firm, praying that, you know, I, I really think that Congress especially flows downriver from culture in America. So if you want more elected leaders representing you, we have to see revival in the church here. We have to see people because if people of faith don't care anymore about having elected leaders or there aren't enough people of faith to vote in, vote them in, then you're not going to see them in Congress because that's that's how they get there. So it's really tied in with this kind of revival and praying for um, supporters of godly people to, to, to go to the go to the voting booth and, and, and vote those people and then continue to support them. Don't forget about them once you got them in office. Keep praying for them. Are there some specific ways to pray? You talked about not yeah. being pulled back and forth and all the different distractions, all the different efforts to get someone's attention. Are there yeah. some other specific things that we can pray for? Uh, I think praying for wisdom. Uh, for them, they they need great amounts of wisdom in order to navigate 
Washington. I think praying that doors will be open to the right groups and the right voices. There are so many different groups trying to get a voice into these halls of power. So praying that God opens the door to the right people who can who can share about what's going on with the church around the world uh, is a specific prayer. You know, praying for patience for them. Uh, a lot of these things take a long time before uh-huh. you see any difference. So uh, just that God will give them the patience to endure in these in these positions until they, they see the fruit of their work come to pass. We've been talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Isaac Six. He is part of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. He works for their office in Washington, D.C. Isaac, thank you for your work. Thank you for representing Christ in Washington, D.C. And thanks for being our guest on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you, Todd. I'm happy to be here. As always, you can connect with us online at vomradio.net. I mentioned that previous interview with Congressman Pete Hoekstra. I encourage you to look that up and listen to that as he talked more about the same topic of how can we as Christians have a voice and make a difference in Washington, D.C. on behalf of our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. You can search for that in the search bar at vomradio.net and listen to that as well as all of our other episodes of VOM Radio. I want to encourage you to be back with us next week right here on VOM Radio. We're going to have a guest from the church in Iran. He's going to talk about what God is doing in Iran. He's going to talk about uh, some of the work of the church there. It obviously has to be very secretive. So be back with us next week to hear that right here on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network.